Welcome to Edwards Beyond the Test, a podcast that goes behind the scenes of the flight test mission at Edwards Air Force Base. I'm Don Waldman from the 412th Test Wing Public Affairs Office. Today, we're going to go behind the scenes of a critical part of flight test here at Edwards Air Force Base, and that is the mission of the air traffic controllers who work inside the iconic Edwards Control Tower. We have two guests today, and we'll begin with Senior Master Sergeant Joshua Matias, who is the Chief Controller of the Edwards Tower. Senior Matias, thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for having me here today, Don. I'm excited. Oh, good. So tell us about your job as the Chief Controller at the Tower. So uh, I am the the Control Tower Chief Controller, and uh, within the career field, we don't have uh, duty titles such as superintendent. So it's a superintendent equivalency to some of the other career fields. I have a, a team of uh, 24 military controllers and seven civilian controllers who I am entrusted with every day with setting policy and direction and then uh, just providing the top coverage uh, for them. We are youngest airmen, mm-hmm. six months in the Air Force and still in upgrade training. And our oldest uh, military airman um, has roughly 35, 40 years of experience of air traffic. And so we, we cover a wide range of, of controllers. That is a wide range and a lot of sage there to pass on to the newcomers. Yes, ma'am. So unlike many of the other Air Force bases, the flight line at Edwards has just about every airframe in the current inventory. What kind of unique opportunities does that provide the ATCs? So where at most of your traditional bases, you may have one, two, if not three different airframes, uh, which are all relatively close to the same type of aircraft characteristics. Here at Edwards, we have almost every airframe in the Department of Defense to include some that are test and developmental. Mm -hmm. And so with the varieties of, of aircraft and only having two runways, one of which is not real property, so we're not allowed to fly practice approaches to it, we, our job every day is to, to ensure separation. And so when you mix in aircraft such as C-12, that's a, a prop type airplane okay. with a single, um, single jet F-16, um, which goes fast. And then you throw a, a heavy B-52 in there that has, I believe, eight engines on it, <laughs> um, which goes fast but slow. And then you throw a, let's just say you throw an F-35 in there who has uh, different capabilities based on the configuration. Just those four different airplanes flying at the same time create a complex environment. And so that's what kind of makes Edwards Tower unique is we have almost every plane. And then on rare occasions, you'll have the civilian sector who will fly in with their their Boeing aircraft and their commercial aircraft that they're testing as well. And you forgot the TPS, Test Pilot School, U.S. Air Force Test Pilot School. They have all sorts of strange planes that come in here. Yes, ma'am. And and, and, and thanks for, for reminding me of that. The Test Pilot School every week has a, a plane of the week, and that affords the opportunity for the Test Pilot students uh, to fly different air, aircraft and see their configurations and, and try different things to learn how to recover it and how, how to gauge different things. And so uh, every week there's a different plane that, that adds itself in there, and they also require proficiency as well. And so you you add in something like a, a old T-6 aircraft or out here on the, on the ramp right now, we have an aircraft uh, from what I believe is like the Doomsday Raiders. So, Senior Matias, what does this really mean when you talk about all these different airframes and then the ATC's role involved? So, when I think about mixing aircraft characteristics, the easiest way to explain it is if I pulled up next to you in a Porsche mm-hmm. and you were driving a Volkswagen. Okay. Um, off the, the green light, that Porsche has the capabilities to go way faster than the Volkswagen, okay. right? And when you put them in an actual circuit where 
some aircraft are flying roughly 120, 140 knots, and then you have other aircraft that are flying 300 knots. Just mathematically, at some point, the faster airplane is going to catch the slower airplane, or at some point, if we put the Porsche and the, and the Volkswagen on a racetrack, that Porsche is going to lap that mm-hmm. Volkswagen at some point because of the capabilities. And then they have to take in consideration then the fuel on board mm-hmm. and, and, and the needs. Sometimes they they have uh, in-flight emergencies, such as the nature of test, and they need to get on the ground fast. Mm-hmm. So you got to clear that pattern. Is so, that what you do? So part of being an air traffic controller is not just being able to set a sequence right now, but it's being able to make minute adjustments based oh, okay. on what's happening real world. And so if an aircraft comes back emergency, they have the right of way over all other aircraft. Um, what that means is I'm going to prioritize how I land my aircraft. If I have the ability to land two or three planes before that plane gets a, a, a go, no-go point, a point where they actually have to land, um, I'm going to land those two or three airplanes. Otherwise, I run the risk of holding an aircraft for a plane that may close the runway down and then having to divert an aircraft somewhere else. And so a part of being a controller is being able to have the the foresight to see, hey, if I do, if I take this action then my second and third order of effect is going to be this. And as we're training our controllers, as we train the, the future of, of the Air Force, um, that's things that we try to impress upon them is there are rules that say who is first and who is last, and there's aircraft characteristics. Um, but on a case-by-case scenario, there is something that may have a higher priority. Us being test, that also throws um, it throws kind of a wrench into into it, and and the reason it does that is because the the planes have different things that they're they're testing out and different configurations that they're flying to, and so you you have to also try to factor that in with your limited understanding of what they have going on at that time. And let's add this during the test aspect of a mission, sport, um, which I cannot remember what that acronym stands for, is pretty much handling the aircraft, and you're handling the landing and departures. Mm-hmm. So within a traditional air traffic environment, you have the control tower who controls roughly a surface to maybe 5,000 feet max and then usually out to somewhere between five to seven miles. Now, that's just that's not every control tower, but that's just a general understanding. Once you leave 5,000 feet or seven miles, we hand you off to a different a different uh, air traffic controller. That air traffic controller can be a radar facility or that air traffic controller can be a military radar unit, which is what sport is. And sports job is to work them out into the range. And, and they provide a sort of a range control, deconfliction type of service. Okay. Um, they are all retired air traffic controllers or prior experience air traffic controllers um, who do that for us. And they work them out on their mission. And then once the mission is over, they'll bring them back to the field as they approach what is our airspace. They'll coordinate for them to arrive uh, through one of various ways. Okay. You know, speaking of mission, at every base you work at, the mission is different. So does that mean you have to recertify when you reassign to a new base? So every time a, a controller PCSs, they have to, to recertify. And that, that includes the deployments. Um, and so what it looks like here at Edwards is anywhere from 30 days to roughly three or four months, you'll go through a recertification process. It doesn't matter if you've been controlling for a year or you've been controlling for 17 or 18 years. You're going to go back through that recertification process. The foundation of air traffic, which is the .65, it's the the Federal Aviation Authority, the FAA's rule book doesn't change. The local regs change. And so you go through a process of learning all the local regs, regs, learning what are your cutoff points, what are the aircraft typically going to ask for, and can I continue to to separate those planes? And so uh, there is a dec- there is a recertification process okay. um, every time you PCS. Additionally, once once a year, 
um, you'll be recertified with an evaluator who will plug in behind you and and ensure that you still have the same capabilities, if not better, to continue to provide service for the next year. You think of all of that, that work there and the day-to-day work that you do as air traffic controllers, there's got to be a high stress level with this job. So... It is a stressful environment. Um, I've seen controllers at 17, 18 years who have have made it that far as controllers and then can't get recertified or requalified. Um, I've seen controllers at 23, 24 years not, not be able to maintain their qualifications and have to find a, a new job or have to uh, have to retire. Um, so there is there is that stress. Now that stress isn't unique to air traffic. The recertification process is unique. To air traffic, okay. um, but I'd I'd equivalent I'd I'd equivalent it to to you know one of the AFE airmen right aircrew flight equipment airmen who their job is to maintain all the life saving equipment for the for the pilots. Okay. Um, here within our our organization in the four twelfth OSS, um, I've watched airmen work on the the oxygen mass and the ejection seats and and all the the helmets. And then I've walked a half mile, or I haven't walked, I, I've driven a mile up the road to the parachute section, which also falls underneath aircrew flight equipment. And I've watched the same exact airmen being qualified and certified on parachutes. Okay. And so there, there's stress there for them as they're learning these different roles and functions. And then on the maintenance side, right, you, you can cross flow from one jet to the next jet and there's a recertification process. I okay. think what makes us unique is every time we PCS, we have to learn, relearn the airfield, and there is a possibility that we are not going to get checked out in that facility. Okay. You know, how does it make you feel knowing that the work you do, our mission here at Edwards, is in support of the warfighters as it is? Having deployed uh, multiple times and uh, sending airmen downrange, being able to be on the receiving end of the test missions that we do here, um, I think it's priceless, right? Our, our job here at Edwards is to, to solve the problems before the warfighter solves the problems, right? We want to ensure that moms and dads, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, grandparents come home to their family members, and you have to test that somewhere. And so to be here where test begins and then to go down on the warfighting end and see some of the things that we've tested in actual real-world application is priceless. When we come back, we'll take you inside the Edwards Control Tower and talk to our second guest to get more of an idea of the day-to-day operations. Edwards Ground, Raptor 01. Raptor 01, Edwards Ground. Edwards Ground, Raptor 01, taxi single F-22 from the F-22 Raptor Information Golf. Welcome back to Edwards Beyond the Test. We're going behind the scenes of the Edwards Control Tower, and currently we're up in the cab with an incredible view of the flight line in Edwards Air Force Base. Joining us is Senior Airman Oscar Cantu, who is a line controller and trainer at the tower. Senior Airman Cantu, when you're working as a line controller, how many others are working in the cab, and what are you and they all doing? Hi, so uh, there's anywhere from at least uh, four to nine controllers in the tower cab. Um, everybody's working in their respective positions. We have the watch soup, who's kind of just looking over all the positions. The local controller, who's taking care of everybody in the air. Our flight data, who is kind of like our secretary of the tire cab. Our ground controller, who's uh, working with everybody that's on the ground and anybody taxiing out. And uh, if needed, the coordinator, who is helping the local controller when it gets a little bit busy. And we can also have a training in each of those positions uh, as the day goes on. Eddie Ground, Vista 4-8, terminate 
The cabs are really not that big, and of course all those folks aren't in here right now, but when they are, how do you squeeze them in? Uh, very tightly. Um, so we ha each have our own kind of little section of the tower that we, all, we each stay in when we're up there, and we're not talking too loud so nobody's really overstepping anybody else when we're talking online. Well, the Edwards Tower is fortunate to have a lifelike simulator downstairs from the cab that looks like our actual airfield and runs scenarios similar to what our ATCs might encounter. That I know you're a trainer, so can you tell us about that? Yes, uh, on top of being a trainer, I'm also a TSS uh, administrator, so I'm uh, part of the team that helps maintain that system. Um, it's a, a, a very expensive system. Like you said, it's um, very lifelike um, to an extent. We use uh, the voice recognition as much as possible. Uh, we have to supplement sometimes with uh, the trainer in the back on the piloting um, side to input as needed uh, for the pilots. Um, but it's a great tool to help the trainees uh, work on their uh, real-time quick uh, reflexes to certain situations or changing scenarios um, such as, you know, birds maybe popping up at the end of the runway and now we have to space this aircraft around those birds. Um, different kinds of weather, you know, the, the cloud coverage, uh, dust storms. Sometimes we have dust devils out here at Edwards especially. Uh, we had a sandstorm not too long ago, things like that. Or, you know, maybe just some kind of uh, emergency coming into aircraft. And we can have those trainees see things that they might not see here at Edwards every day, uh, but they need to know, uh, such as, you know, opposite direction. We're on runway 2-2 most of the year, but sometimes we go on runway 4 towards the end of the year when the winds shift a little bit and trainees don't see that all year and then they're getting raided and now they don't know how to work that runway. So we can go down there and show them how things are done uh, for scenarios that they don't see quite often. So Senior Airman Cantu, we're about to leave the Edwards Tower and thanks for the awesome opportunity to be here. But before I go, can you tell me what excites you about working here at the center of the aerospace testing universe? Yes, absolutely. So when I joined the Air Force, uh, I didn't join for any selfish reasons. I didn't join for uh, getting an education out of the military or anything like that or, you know, the travel. You hear that a lot, too. I came because uh, I wanted to serve. I came at a time where a lot of bad things were happening in the world, and I wanted to be a part of something uh, that helped put an end to those, those kinds of things. So when I joined, I knew I wanted to join uh, to, to help out. And... I also knew that I wanted to be an air traffic controller. That was my choice is to come in and be an air traffic controller. And getting put here at Edwards has been the greatest blessing. Um, being at the center of the testing universe, everything that we do here directly affects the warfighter on the airfield. You know, the auto G-cast that we had tested here at Edwards has already saved lives in real life in F-16s, and now we're putting it into other planes and testing that here as well. Um, so being able to, to create technology that helps our warfighters and keeps them safe out there is what's most important to me, being here at Edwards. Well, Senior Airman Cantu, thank you so much for bringing us up into the Edwards Control Tower and sharing with us some of what you do here and taking us beyond the test. When we come back, we'll talk more about training and the work that goes into creating the next generation of Air Force air traffic controllers, as well as leadership and caring for the team. Welcome back to Edwards Beyond the Test. We're back in the studio talking with Senior Master Sergeant Joshua Matias, who is Chief Controller of the Edwards Control Tower for the 412th Operations Support Squadron. Senior Matias, over the years during my visits to the tower, I've noticed from time to time young airmen in the cab who appear to be being mentored. Are they the next generation of air traffic controllers? They absolutely are the next generation of air traffic controllers. Uh, we believe in learning by doing, and most uh, controllers learn by doing. And so even when they're not actively plugged into position, working traffic, um, we encourage them to be in the tower cab or to be in the radar facility 
actually listening, watching other controllers' techniques, learning from the mistakes and the successes of those who are, are in front of them. And so mentorship is a huge part of our development plan. Do other bases also offer this entry-level training earlier? You said the youngest one has been there six months. Mm-hmm. So across the enterprise, there's roughly 160 total forest control towers. That's active duty guard and reserve. And all, almost all facilities enter, offer some sort of entry-level um, training okay. with the exception of a few commands. You have a few overseas assignments who don't accept three levels and there's a few assignments here within the states who are also moving in the direction of not accepting three levels, but almost the entire enterprise does offer entry level training. Okay. Well, how long does it usually take for a team member to become rated? Now in, in air traffic, Don, it's important to know that there's two aspects as, as I kind of explained earlier with sport in the radar facility. So you have a, a tower track and then you have a, a radar track. For, for a three-level, for a brand-new airman arriving to a unit um, from technical training, um, you can go from anywhere from six months at your, your quicker, quicker bases that are not as complex to roughly 18, 19 months of upgrade training for a tower controller. Um, in the radar facility, based on the complexity of the unit, you're looking at anywhere from eight months to two years to accomplish your upgrade training. But that's based on how many different qualifications that you have to, to obtain. When it comes to your team, you have both military and civilian. You know, you you are known personally for putting a lot of time and effort to ensure that your team is a healthy team. So uh, my wife, Vanessa, and I um, are very – we're passionate about people um, and we're passionate about loving others um, as we want to be loved. And, and inherently that comes with a, a lot of risk and that comes with a lot of vulnerability. And so I've chose to, to adopt leading through vulnerability, right, Dr. Brene Brown – um, talks about that often. And so I've chose to to lean into vulnerability. And, and what that looks like for us right now in this season here at Edwards is uh, we, we had an airman who, who was deployed um, and mom was here with, with her son. And um, I remember, I remember the day like yesterday, I was in, I was in position talking to airplanes in the sky and I turned around to the team and I said, man, I'm going to do something crazy. Right. And, and everybody stopped and they looked at me and they're like, sorry, Matias, what are you talking about? You have planes flying. And I said, Hey, um, what if we take our deployed airmen's uh, children camping? And uh, oh, cool. a few of the guys were like, man, that is, that's crazy. Um, and so, but I was able to get four or five of the teammates behind the idea. And we decided, you know what, let's take, let's take a weekend and, mm-hmm. and, and we'll go camping. And you gave mom a break. We, we gave mom a break. And, uh, and, and through that, we, we've built a relationship with that family. And Vanessa does a, a great job of loving on mom. Uh, I do a great job of trying to love on the husband and, and lead the husband. Um, but out of that trip, we've also been deep sea fishing together. Um, we have monthly potlucks together. We volunteer together. Um, we just spent Thanksgiving. Um, the better part of the team spent Thanksgiving at one place together. Another half of the team who wasn't on leave or, or um, deployed spent the other half together. And at some point, we kind of mixed it together. And for us, the idea is um, we're living in a time where we're, we ask for airmen to be resilient, mm-hmm. but what does that look like? And so for Vanessa and I, what that looks like is placing ourselves in a position where we can be vulnerable, where people can see that we make mistakes, okay. um, but also loving our teammates because they don't have, we are the family for them here. Right. And so that's kind of the, the thought and idea behind it. And then looking at, um, if I love my teammates so much, they're going to want to produce better results. And, and as weird as it sounds, I kind of learned that through the army 
having been uh, stationed with them and deployed with them and, and also the Marines, it's not uncommon to see their squad or their platoon mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. after duty hours. Now, they may cut up and do some things that are, you know, <laughs> that we all do. Right. But the them being together, together. right? And so the idea is if we, we can get to know each other at a personal level beyond the high and the goodbye, then when I'm working with you on a project or I am working with you in, in the facility, I'm going to actually care about what I do because you matter to me. You know, before I let you go today, Senior Matias, please share with us what it means to you to work at the center of the aerospace testing universe. Having served in AMC, so Air Mobility Command, having served in PACAF, the the Pacific Command, having served in uh, USAFE, which is European Command, having served in uh, Air Education Training Command, and now coming over to Air Force uh, Material Command, and and get an opportunity to be a part a part of tests, to be at the center of it, to literally see things conceptualized, and then played out two or three years down the road. Take it even a step further watching the F-35 go operational. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an experience like none other. And as an air traffic controller, being in an environment where you can test anything and wing leadership encourages us to take risk within, within right measure, for me as an enlisted airman has been, has been priceless. Um, being and growing up in an environment where you're told that doctrine is meant to give you a guidelines, but then we actually follow doctrine so so stringently it takes a lot of the creativity away from you. So to be at the center of the test universe has freed me up to actually try some things that I wouldn't otherwise try in other places. And I, again, that's within reason. Um, and so being here at Edwards, uh, serving underneath General Tyker and, and Chief Aishin, who are, are visionaries and are all about creating ideas and being innovative, being at the center of the, the testing universe, is amazing. Many thanks to today's guests, Senior Master Sergeant Joshua Matias, as well as Senior Airman Oscar Cantu for taking time to share their stories and taking us beyond the test. We invite our listeners to submit their suggestions for future episodes by sending us an email at beyondtest at 412tw.us. Thanks to all for joining us. I'm Don Waldman for Edwards Beyond the Test. <laughs>